wrestling goes coast to coast and continent to continent. The greatest wrestlers in the world. He may be an apprentice carpenter, but I guarantee you he is a seasoned ring veteran. I've been hit with bar stools, bar rags, bar maids. I'm talking to you! They're scared that Hulkamania is still running wild. I got a big fat wife and nine kids at home, and I gotta feed them! And take a look at Jesse the body in real life. Open your hand once if you would. You want to see it? (laughs) This is absolutely unbelievable. Totally, completely out of control. He's coming in over the top. Hey! Look out! Welcome in to AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent number one podcast dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the memories of the American Wrestling Association. Apologies for the uh, beginning of the video, maybe been a couple of seconds off, but we are here. We are ready to go. My name is Chris Tubbs. Let us bring in the big nipple, Joe Chupik, and the uh, little nipple, Mick Karch. I don't know if that's a thing, but I can't, we can't have two big nipples. So you can either be the medium-sized nipple or you can give yourself another, you know, moniker. But that's... And you are Chandler Bing. You are the third nipple. I am the third... Oh! Rest, wow. in, rest in peace, Matthew Perry. Absolutely. Rest in peace, Matthew Perry. How you doing, guys? Good. Doing, doing very well and looking forward to this show. Yeah, I, this, yeah this is a show, guys, that... I kind of wanted to do for a while. We've had a lot of requests for this, but this is kind of one that I, I, I kind of pushed it, but I know that you guys, especially you, Mick, this is one that's going to be personal, a little more personal for you, but I feel like this is one that individuals have wanted to, uh, we've wanted to discuss and we'll get to that in just a minute, along with a passing or not a passing an anniversary um here in a minute but we do want to tell you uh first of all for those that if you like the banter at the beginning i know some people like well we don't like the banter you know that's that's just too bad because this is this is the fun part for it the whole thing's fun but here's what i want to do i'm going to put a banner down there subscribe to the awa unleashed youtube channel that is a great way to help us expand it's a great way to help us kind of continue to build this thing because we've got some really cool things that are on the horizon, guys. Like, I'm, I'm telling you, we just got a few more, you know, T's to cross, I's to dot, a few more things. But we've got some really cool things to really expand this thing. And we're super excited. But we want you guys along for the ride. Just if you have not subscribed, hit that like button and leave us a rating, review, comment, whatever. Like, it, it all helps with the algorithm. Or if you're, you know, if you listen on any other podcast platform, hey, that's cool. Google uh, Music, Spotify, you know, Amazon, iTunes, Apple, whatever they're calling it nowadays. Just any platform that you're on, just to hit the like button, subscribe, follow us, and our AWA Unleashed fan book page as well. Okay. And uh, also, thanks to 7th Avenue Pizza and Soda Stick for, uh, for what they do. Um so let's before we get into the topic today, Mick, uh, I'm gonna send it over to you for um, an anniversary again, a, a personal anniversary for you guys. Yeah, it uh, it doesn't seem possible. Uh, and we we just mentioned last week his championship victory in 1975, but uh, this anniversary is a little a little more painful. And uh, eight years ago, eight years ago today, as we're taping this broadcast, uh, Nick Bockwinkel uh, passed away at his home in Las Vegas. I'll never forget, I woke up in the middle of the night just to check something on the computer, 4.30 in the morning, and there I see, uh, you know, we're saddened by the the death of Nick Bockwinkel. And uh, Nick had had a, a tough couple of last years in his life. Uh, but just uh, I, I saw him in April of 2015 at Cauliflower Alley. And then November of 2015, he was no longer with us. So uh, certainly in my estimation, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And uh, miss the guy, miss our conversations, miss the ribs, uh, miss those phone calls. And I know, Joe, you feel 
exactly as I do. Uh, you're right. Um, th there's a lot of goats. You know, that, that term gets used quite a bit along with legend, icon. Nick Bockwinkle truly was one of the goats. Yeah. Um, incredible person outside of the ring, uh, a Cretinous humanoid inside the ring. And the fact that it's eight years, um, holy shit. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it, it just, the older you get, the faster that it goes. And sadly, we've lost too many of them. And today's eight-year anniversary of Nick, just a reminder of, to me, uh, of who he was. And that was the guy who liked to pull a rib. And he loved to say, Mick, my boy. Boy, my boy, yeah. And um, despite the lengthy conversations that, well, that's not fair. A lengthy speech by Nick, you just happened to be there listening. There you go. There was no conversation. No, very, very little interactions with Nick, but that was part of his charm. And yeah. was he like the king of the monologue, I guess, then? Is that safe to say? Monologue, filibuster, whatever you want to say. I mean, he, uh, you know, like Heenan said, ask Nick what time it is and he'll tell you how to build a watch. And uh, it was exactly like that. And God bless him. What a guy. Yeah. What a guy. And it, as you said, Joe, the fact that it's eight years, my God, time is going by quickly. It is You know, you, you brought up, uh, Mick, that you had woken up at 4.30 in the morning. A similar thing had happened to me where I I woke up from a dead sleep, not knowing why, just thinking it was whatever. And it was about four, five o'clock in the morning. And I rolled back over and and slept for a little bit longer. And rolled, when I finally woke up, looked at my phone and I got the news that he had passed. And I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. It was expected, sadly. Um, I remember talking to um, to his wife, Darlene, uh, probably about three months prior to his death, asking if it'd be all right to call Nick, um, knowing uh, where he was, where his state of mind was. And uh, I had to deal with that with my own father. And she goes, Joe, you're always welcome to call Nick, but just you know, be prepared and don't be offended if he doesn't remember who you were and or who you are. And I don't know, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't make that call to him to talk to him one last time. Part of me wishes that I did. Um, another part is glad that I didn't because I could remember more what he was, the Nick Bockwinkle that I remembered as opposed to just talking to somebody that might not have any clue who I am. And I didn't, I didn't want to disrupt Nick. I just let him, let him be. I said my peace with him and rest in peace, Nick. And by the way, you did your job well. He certainly did. And Nick, I forgive you for 1975 at the Minneapolis Auditorium when I saw you come walking in the building, saw you down the hall, all the way down the hall, and you waved to me, hey, 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 Mick, Mick, Mick. And I, you know, people are looking like, oh, God, but look at these guys. What a relationship. And Nick, when he finally made his approach to me, he said, I got to tell you, you look worse every time I see you. <laughs> And uh, so, so that was the uh, that was the charm. The man slapped me across the face for no reason at Cauliflower Alley Club. Uh, I, you know, he hit me with his walker. He hit me with a golf club, uh, but all endearing. And uh, God bless you. God bless you, Nick. There you go. Yeah, you you mentioned the word goat, uh, Joe. You said it perfectly. There are a lot of goats, but I feel like he's our goat. And I, I feel like I, I feel like I missed out on on something special with Nick Bockwinkle and you guys. I'm glad we're able to do this podcast because you guys are the only ones that can tell stories like that. 
you know, of, of those little things about Nick Bockwinkle that you can't get online. So thank you guys for, uh, for sharing that, even though it's, you know, it's a somber, it's a somber anniversary, but it brings back those good memories for you guys. Well, yeah, and you know, Nick would be more philosophical than anybody, you know, he'd say, come on, get on with it guys. You know, ah, you know, that's enough, you know, go ahead now, get on with your podcast, get on with your bullshit. <laughs> I think he would probably say, and, uh, Enough about me. Go on. There boy. you go. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, today we're going to discuss somebody that had a lot of success in a lot of territories. I don't think there was a place where she did not go that she was not revered, whether it was positive, uh, whether it was negative. Let me just say, you can call her a lot of things. You can call her scary. You can call her sensational. But she is the one and only Sherry Martell. And I'm glad that we can discuss her because I feel like she had such a, a, a broad, she had such a broad like reach with who she was and what she did. We talk about Bobby Heenan being able to perform and do a lot of different things. I feel like she was kind of in the same vein guys where you could, you could ask her to do anything in any territory. And I feel like she was able to do it. First of all, I think the, the fact that you said she, when you were kind of teasing who was going to be, I think that's great. Finally, we got a, she, you know, there were spotlighting here. And if there ever was a, she to be spotlighted, it was Sherry Martell. Uh, I know, Chris, you're going to kind of give an overview about what she did in the business on the overall, which was extraordinary. If you look up Sherry Martell's history in wrestling, she did everything, as you said, went everywhere, did everything and did it to a T. Her AWA tenure, which we will focus on more on a personal level than mm -hmm. a, a professional level, her AWA tenure was relatively short. Uh, you know, she came in about 1985. By the end of 1987, she was gone. Uh, but what an impact. And uh, as I said, we're going to talk more about the the personal shy side, the intensity and yet the beauty of uh, of Sherry Martell. Yeah. Both, both of the monikers, before we uh, let you get into it, Chris, sensational and scary epitomize who yeah. Sherry Martell was. Yeah. She was indeed both. And we'll get into more of those details as we go on. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess I, I wanted to start by, you know, we talked to, you know, to some individuals that they're like, Oh, I didn't have any athletic background. I, you know, I didn't do like, you look at what she did as a kid, you know, playing basketball and, and track and field. She had that, athletic build and I remember like just very distinctly the first time that I saw her there was just something uh about her and I think that when you add the fact that she she was trained by Mula, I think just and I know this we're kind of skipping we have bullet points but I'm I've already screwed that up because <laughs> well, I'm just because I, I mean I'm, I'm just I'm so excited to talk about Sherry you guys that being trained by Mula, I feel just adds another level of credibility to women in that business. What's interesting about her being trained by Mula, and, and Joe, you can certainly speak to this in terms of Sherry's personality. Uh, you've a lot of times referred to pro wrestlers as grown up teenagers. And uh, sometimes that's a good thing. Uh, when it's innocent, sometimes it's not so good when it pushes the envelope a little bit. Uh, Sherry was kind of a wild child. And, uh, you know, when she went to Moolah's camp, she originally, I, I believe, approached Grizzly Smith, uh, Jake the Snake, Robert's father, about getting into the business. Sherry's mom had taken her to a, a wrestling show. And uh, Sherry decided, you know, that's what I want to do. Well, Grizzly Smith then sent uh, Sherry off to Fabulous Moolah. And despite the fact that Sherry had these incredible skills she was still that wild child and Mula was kind of a disciplinarian. 
And she wasn't all that comfortable sometimes with Sherry's behavior. Um, you know, she, uh, the, the kid was still inside and that wasn't a good thing necessarily when, uh, when Lillian was trying to train you to become a pro wrestler. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. The, the, the laughter is just, you, you, you hit it right on the head. Mula knew it. Sherry. <laughs> yeah. She was she was that grown up teenager, and I'm just I'm laughing because I just I'm seeing her at interview day. She would go out there and turn into scary Sherry during the interview, and then I'd count down three, two, one, it'd be done, and boom, she's this sweetheart. You know the, the you know who she who she was, but if you pissed her off, she went straight back to scary Sherry really quick. Yeah, I've got some personal stories about uh, not necessarily pissing her off, but seeing that side of her, where okay, I think I'll just be over here right now, and uh, sometimes again that was a good thing that was part of her repeal. So was- well, uh, yeah, let, let me. What was the first impression that you guys got of her? The first time that you guys met her when she came into Minneapolis? I personally got a phone call from her out of the blue. Uh, And this is when I'm just, you know, I I wasn't involved in TV yet. I was doing photography for the AWA and some publicity for Wally and Vern. And I get a call, you know, this is Sherry Martell and uh, Wally Carvold told me to give you a call because I'm coming into the AWA for the first time. And uh, look at that. Wow, that that goes back a little bit in, in time. Uh, early Sherry Martell. Uh, and she said, you know, Wally says, you, for whatever reason, I don't know where the hell Wally got this idea. He says, you might, you might, you might find him to be an expert on the Twin Cities. Well, I'm not an expert in my bathroom. Well, maybe I am. But uh, Sherry was asking about places to live and so on and so forth and just kind of getting the lay of the land in the AWA. Very, very soft-spoken. You know, she had that that sweet voice over the telephone. Uh, the first time I met her directly in person, she was working a show. I want to say it might have been against Candy Divine uh, in St. Paul. And Sherry was, yeah, well, let's say she, she had a couple of Coca-Colas uh, before uh, getting to the arena. So she was, you know, feeling okay. And I put that picture up before. I won't, we won't do it this time, uh, where she posed for a picture. And, you know, she wasn't covered up altogether. Uh, you know, Sherry was getting ready for the, uh, for her match, but her wardrobe was kind of malfunctioning a little bit and her eyes are a little bit glazed over. Uh, that was the first time that I met sherry when she came to town but again as you said chris or or joe boom you know the the bell rings the lights come on and you would never have known that you know sherry had anything but a glass of water and uh that was the first time i met her and from then on it was a friendship that lasted many years first time i had uh, met sherry was during an interview day at the awa and she came in. She came in um, pre makeup, and uh, I was like, "Whoa, okay." I mean, when I'm talking pre makeup, I'm I'm going back to. It looks like she just rolled out of bed five minutes ago, hopped into the car, and came to uh, came to the studio. Uh, half hour, forty five minutes later. She's up for her first interview. She came up all dolled up, looking like a million bucks. And that was my first introduction to Sherry Martell. And during that same interview day, um, she didn't like what somebody had said to her. And this was uh, in between interviews. And that was my first exposure to the scary Sherry part. She was a proverbial light switch. She could go from sweet and innocent to don't you dare fucking say or do that to me. And then go back to being the sweet and innocent. 
her range of um, <laughs> of emotions, shall we say, was great and wide. Did, did I, any idea what would trigger that or was it just kind of one of those things did you guys feel she like maybe had... she did okay. not put up with shit that's okay. exactly it that that is you hit it right on the head joe she was she was ahead of her time uh sad to say she was a woman ahead of her time because she's in a man's business mm -hmm. and you know and she knew what she was up against and she didn't care if you were hulk hogan right down to the guy pushing the broom in the ring if you did something that offended her, she got in your face. She let you know. And like Joe said, the next minute, and not that she's manic or anything. We're, you know, I'm not no. trying to say that. But the next minute, you got to see Sherry as, as sweet, lovable Sherry. And my God, what a beautiful, beautiful person she was. Yeah, she, you got to remember, Chris, that we're talking about a time well before the acknowledgement of women's wrestling. Women's wrestling today, yeah. nothing like it was. Do you feel like maybe there was a chip on the shoulder too, though, because she, she had to work harder because she was a woman? No doubt about it. No doubt okay. about it. She was, Sherry came into the business at a time when women's wrestling was still a novelty. Yeah. It was the same as the Battle Royal, the same as uh, little people, uh, midget wrestlers, they call it. I, you know, no disrespect intended. Um, and, and in women's wrestling, it was not a part of, of a run. It, sure. they, were, they weren't going to have a six-month uh, angle run with women's wrestlers. So Sherry had to fight and claw her way to where she eventually ended up getting um, with the WWF. And so having that not chip on her shoulder, but she just didn't put up with shit from anybody. Yeah. Let, I mean, anybody. Yeah. Let me ask you guys about the relationship that she had with, uh, I mean, maybe the two that she's most synonymous with the AWA with Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. What was the, I know that she kind of had this relationship with Buddy Rose going back before the, you know, before they, you know, did their run in the, in the AWA, but I mean, what, what was that? What did you see between those two? Was, was that like a, something that was put together and it just happened to work because of booking or kind of like, you make, was it just like a genuine connection? I mean, how did that all come about? You know, you know, first of all, you mentioned Sherry's early connection with Buddy Rose. Uh, she was a valet uh, for Buddy Rose probably three, four, five years before she came into the AWA area. She valeted at the time when uh, Buddy was working for WWF. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's Buddy and Sherry. Uh, that's actually a shot at, at uh, Sherry's apartment in uh, Richfield, Minnesota, uh, back in about 1986. Um, but Sherry... Valet for Buddy, I believe. I don't know if you got a picture there or not, Chris. There was one photograph with Buddy and the Grand Wizard. Oh, yes, and, I do. Yeah, I've got uh, it. Let's bring that one up, and we'll kind of give a little uh, little history Let me there. See here. Uh, hold on. There you got her. Yeah, I've got. I've got it. There it is. Okay. Yep. Give me. Give me a second there. No problem. No problem at all. There we go. Now, th this is what I was talking about. There, there's Sherry, of course, on your right, Buddy Rose. And that's Judy Martin, uh, another of the great lady wrestlers and the Grand Wizard. So Sherry is coming to the ring. She's escorting Playboy Buddy Rose in all his Playboy glory uh, back in the day. So she's just kind of a, a side attraction, uh, even back then, even though she had trained as a wrestler but there you know that's that's the first connection between sherry and buddy uh so they had that that uh they had that established connection already by the time she came to the awa as far as who actually put it together uh joe you may know more than i do i'm guessing it was just one of those things when she came to the awa uh in terms of let's see if this works you know, putting her together with uh, Buddy Rose and Doug Summers. Of course, she managed other people in the AWA. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't, I don't know the particulars. Just because when Sherry um, 
came into the AWA and was put up with Rose and Summers, um, I had just like sort of started, you know, I, I was green in the industry. So, you know, the behind the scenes stories and, but Mick, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Um, wasn't Sherry's debut with Rose and Summers at Russell Rock? You know, I don't, boy, I don't remember. I thought it was prior to that, but I, I don't know. It, I it, it, it may have been, but for me, that was Sherry's coming out party. She was dressed in that pink yeah. dress, and she, she ended up winning the Women's Battle Royal to win the championship. You know, it, it's interesting, Joe. And again, you know, somebody will call us on it. You know, so we don't want to we want to be careful and not, uh, you know, mess up the time frame here. But oh, as an nope. aside, look at that shot. I mean, that is, you know, I took that picture at Russell Rock, and of course, the, you know, they were two buddies of mine at the time, so they, you know, pointed me out and looked at the camera, and there you got that going. It was just tremendous. Here's what's interesting about what I see is the connection and just how damn good Sherry was, no matter who they put, who came up with the idea to put it together. Sherry is in the business at that point. I don't know, you know, maybe five years or so. And Buddy Rose and Doug Summers in the AWA, they were, it was an interesting tag team because they put together two guys who really did not have a lot of success in their prior AWA time, um, Paul Pershman, of course, Buddy Rose, uh, his most infamous moment in the AWA was probably when he refereed the Bachwinkle Ganya title switch. Uh, Doug Summers had been a journeyman wrestler for many years in the AWA, never got barely to mid-card status. And the AWA at that time was starting its kind of over-the-top decline a little bit. But they put Sherry Martell, a relative unknown, with these two guys who had an established record in the AWA as, okay, yeah, well, whatever. And the magic that they delivered. And Rose and Summers are, you know, 10, 15-year veterans at this point. And I would argue that Sherry Martell was every bit as important and every bit as stellar in that threesome as Rose and Summers were. She stepped up to the plate. And a lot of times, you know, when people think of Buddy Rose and Doug Summers, they think of think Sherry, Sherry Martell. You know, she was that goddamn good. And uh, so to me, it was a marriage made in heaven. It was just that good. <laughs> you know, what I find funny about the Summers-Rose-Sherry pairing is that I, I think about the blood feud that they had with the Midnight Rockers. And then... You know, she really, yeah, the AWA was on their, you know, th their decline. I feel where she really got her notoriety was in the WWF sure. when she managed Shawn Michaels right after his heel turn against Marty Jannetty. And, you know, you had this, the heartbreak kid. And all of a sudden, here's Sherry Martell, who was on the other side in the AWA. And then next thing you know, there she is with Shawn Michaels. And I feel like, talk about you know maybe elevating rose and summers i feel like she you can make the case at least to me sean michaels doesn't become the the villain the bad guy in the wwf right after that if he doesn't have sherry martell he acknowledges that sean michaels is the first guy that will say that that was how good sherry martell was that her presence elevated sean michaels to that that uh, major heel status. And and uh, Chris and Joe, like you just said, Chris, you have it's interesting. You have this irony. The history with Buddy Rose early on there, Sherry and Sean. Uh, oh, Sean, you know, boy toy. And uh, yeah, careful, careful. You hurt yourself there. No, I know. I Yeah, I can't do that anymore. No, you can't. <laughs> uh, but Sherry starts off with Buddy Rose as his valet in WWF, comes to the AWA, manages him against Michaels and Gennetti, and then reconnects with Shawn Michaels uh, in the WWF. So the cycle completed itself, but every single time, uh, you know, it was just magic. The transition was there. 
And I would argue again, I think she elevated Shawn Michaels to another level. No doubt. But the scary Sherry of the WWF at that time wouldn't have been possible without the sensational Mm -hmm. Sherry of the AWA. And and you you brought up the blood feud uh, earlier, Chris. Uh, and I've brought brought it up so many times on this podcast. Um, where Rose and Summers and Sherry got put on the map for me was that incredible, one of the best matches I've ever been a part of production-wise, was Rose and Summers. The first big bloodbath, Rose and Summers with Sherry against the Midnight Rockers. If you get the opportunity, go on to YouTube. I'm sure it's out there. Take a look at that match. But watch what Sherry does during that match. She was as good as any manager there was in the Mm -hmm. business at that time during that match. Why? Because you believe that she was the bitch that she was portraying herself to be. And she pulled it off incredibly well. Joe, that to me, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, you nailed it right there. Um, first of all, in terms of that feud, the most underrated feud in, in the history of wrestling. I mean, I don't care what. You I say. think, it, yeah, you can you can make that case. I, I don't, and it's not that's not being hyperbolic, Mick. I I feel like that's that's true because the AWA was just kind of. I mean, it was kind of trudging along, but it's one of those things that you, you, I don't think people really recognize how fucking good that was. Think about that. And you're right, Chris. You've got these two veterans, as I said before, that were kind of like floundering in their previous AWA appearances. You got Michaels and Gennetti who are just really getting their feet wet in the business. Mm-hmm. And and then you add Sherry to the mix, which is, you know, giving her her first real national exposure. So it all came together at one time. Rose and Summers finally hit their peak. Uh, you know, Michaels and Gennetti are learning from Rose and Summers as they go. So arguably, Rose and Summers made superstars out of Michaels and Gennetti. And then you add Sherry to the mix, and it was just magic. And, Joe, you made such a great point about Sherry. There was such a believability about her. Uh, It it was kind of like she might have been the female bruiser Brody in the sense that when the cameras were off, for the most part, mild-mannered, soft-spoken, you could be having this conversation with her. And, man, you put her under those Klieg lights in the middle of the ring, and you believed that Sherry was that bitch because she believed it. And she made, oh, God, what a gorgeous picture of her that is. She made, she made so many people look good. Uh, so many of the guys look good. And you mentioned the chip on her shoulder a little bit earlier on. She's in this man's world, and damn it, she was not going to be overshadowed. First of all, she was as tough as most of the guys. Hmm. I mean, legitimately. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to go toe-to-toe with her. And then, Joe, you made the, the comment about how good a manager she was. She was so animated. And she was so involved and she would throw these tantrums at ringside. And then when the referee was distracted, she would go in with the choke or, you know, hit, take off her shoe and hit the opponent over the head with it or kick, whatever it might have been. And you, you compare that to somebody like a Miss Elizabeth or, you know, and, and that's to, not to denigrate Liz because that was her role too. But Sherry was an active participant in the matches. She wasn't just eye candy. She was as good as anybody else. And when, so there was a a time after Sherry started, in fact, this would have been right after the Rose and Summers, the initial Rose and Summers, uh, Midnight Rockers bloodbath. Um, Sherry, um, let's see, probably a good six to eight months worth. And I made the comment to her about her abilities outside the ring, standing there, being the valet, manageress, manager, whatever you want to call it. And admittedly, it was probably 
tongue in cheek at the time, but looking back on it, it was actually legit. And I had told her, I said, I have not seen a manager in the AWA get as much heat from, well, to get as much heat since Bobby Heenan. And looking back on it, there was a lot of similarities between the two because you knew when Sherry was ringside that some shit was going to go down, whether it was involved in the match or just Sherry being that bitch that she needed to be as a manager for somebody. But yeah, I, I was going to, yeah, I, I was going to mention that Joe that, and I'll let you jump back in the, the Bobby, but I felt like maybe that might've been, I, I mean, because as much as we talk about Bobby Heenan, I'm like, I see a lot of similarities, but would I have been out of line for saying that? Not at all. I, I got to add in Adnan as well. I mean, yeah. you know, those, the three most hated managers in the, in AWA history, I think are the three that we just talking about. Um, Sherry deserves every accolade that we have given, mm-hmm. but we've not touched so much yet on her wrestling abilities. And Sherry Martell was as good as it got as a female wrestler, as a woman wrestler. Her hey, matches, that, yeah. oh, uh, early matches against Candy Divine, spectacular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a perfect segue, Joe, because I want to ask you guys, because of her toughness as a wrestler with Candy Divine and then the matches she had with Medusa, did that add to the, the, the credibility that, yeah, she is out there, but she can mess you up and she can become a legit factor. It's it's believability because she was so tough as a wrestler on her own. Yeah, absolutely. Chris, uh, great point. And a couple of things for, first to Joe's point about Sherry, you know, and, and the comparison to Bobby Heenan, first of all, out of the blue, you get a, a female manager in the AWA. Uh, to my knowledge, there had not been one before. I could be wrong, but I, I don't remember an actual manager uh, of a heel tag team or, or singles wrestler in the AWA. Secondly, as it relates to Sherry's toughness, that might be the difference between her and Bobby Heenan. Um, when Bobby would get into the ring, he got the shit kicked out of him. Uh, you know, and that was that's what he did. He bumped. He sold. People couldn't wait for Bobby Heenan to get in the ring with the crusher and pop goes the weasel. Uh, That's what they look for. With Sherry Martell, everything about Sherry was tough. I don't remember a time where Sherry came off in an interview timid or afraid or backing down from a challenge or worming her way out of a match like Bobby did. You know, Bobby, if you said, you know, you're getting the ring with Mad Dog Vashon, well, you can't do that to me, blah, blah, blah. Sherry was not like that. Sherry welcomed the challenge, male, female, man, or beast, and held her own with everybody. And you're right, Chris, that's the credibility factor of Sherry Martell. She was the real deal. And she was so confident in herself. I'll, maybe this story will, will shed some light on how confident she was. Um. At one point, Sherry walked into the control room at the AWA, and she had a magazine. And the magazine is, well, let's put it this way. Sherry was in a gentleman's magazine. She was so proud of it and so confident in herself. She brought that magazine in, and she showed me. I was 21 years old. And, and, you know, here's the, I, I, I never met somebody that was in a, you know, in a, uh, an adult magazine and I'm it, it, very classfully yes. done. I will mm-hmm. say that, but I, I got to admit it was a bit uncomfortable. It's like, you know, <laughs> looking at the magazine, <laughs> looking at Sherry, but, the, but that's, that was what, part of what Sherry was. Mm-hmm. She was so strong so confident. So I don't give a shit what, you know, that that you're a male wrestler. I'm going to do something in this business. And she took that and she was able to do that very successfully for a long time 
Well, until sadly we no longer had her. Mm -hmm. But Sherry was, God, tough in real life, tough as a manager, mm -hmm. tough as a, a wrestler, and tough as a river. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, get to some ribs, guys. And then I, I want to ask you a couple of questions that might be, they might be a little uncomfortable, but I, I want to ask them anyway. Well, yeah, she had a great sense of humor. And a lot of the guys would say, Sherry's one of the boys. And that was a, that was a compliment because, you know, back then, um, you know, you're going back 40, 40 years almost. Uh, the women were not headlining pay-per-views. They didn't have the, they didn't have the financial pull that they do now. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, the girls are on the show. Okay. Well, they're eye candy, not Sherry Martell. Um, one night <laughs> I just, and I told this story before this kind of, I want to get into the kind of the more personal side of Sherry. Sherry lived in an apartment complex in Richfield, Minnesota. I've mentioned this before with uh, Playboy Buddy Rose, and not in the same apartment, but in the same complex. Buddy Rose, Colonel De Beers, and Scott Hall uh, all lived in the same Richfield complex. So every once in a while, we'd go over and you know to one of their apartments and watch tapes or something. And I don't recall what Sherry was doing at the time. It, I, I'm guessing memory serves me. She was probably smoking a joint. And again, this is 35, 40 years ago. And out of the blue, <laughs> there's that, that shot of Sherry and Buddy again. And that's, that's, and she was genuinely, she wasn't even schnockered. She was just having fun that night. Uh, Sherry looked at me and she said, Hey, you know what? What a hit. I said, no, no, thanks. So, you know, I, I just not, I don't do that. And Sherry said, well, you know what, Mick Karch? I do. And, you know, she's about <laughs> this far from me. And she says, and let me tell you something. If you ever say a word to this about Vern Gagne, to Vern Gagne, about what you saw in this apartment, I'm going to fix you so you are never with a woman again. <laughs> and that's all it took. That is all it took. I don't think, you know, I, I, it's... It's amazing that I ever spoke to Vern again, let alone mention Sherry Martell because I was shitting my pants. But this is that's the kind of a gal she was that was the kind of relationship. And I, I forget what I want to say this was either at the Metrodome or Met Center. I don't remember where, but uh, this I, I told Sherry, I says, come here. I want to get a picture with you and I want you to put me over. I want you to look at least pretend that you're happy to be taking this picture with me. And Sherry broke into this laughter. And that's when the cameraman took the picture. And honest to God, of all the wrestling stuff I have, this is this is right up there. This is just as important as anything else. Yeah, Sherry pulled the first rib on me um, in the AWA. Well, in my time in the AWA, um, I think I'd shared this story before, so I'll do the Reader's Digest version, but coming home from Vegas after uh, my very first taping, very first time in Vegas, of course, might not have slept the night before, thanks to the Rockers, and <laughs> fell asleep on the airplane, only to wake up to Sherry Martell standing over me with lipstick in her hand, literally inches away from my face trying to put makeup on my face and i just said no sherry no 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 i go how much did you get on me she goes not none i was just gonna get started um okay i'm going into the bathroom to check this as i go to stand up she had tied my shoes to the chair to begin with so you know i stand up and sort of stumble into the seat ahead of me the boys are all laughing but for, she was telling the truth. I had no makeup on me, but I woke up just in time. And literally, Sherry Martell, her face, like this distance away. It was very, very close. Just, okay, getting ready to do it. Oh. Well, you know, it would, it would be the first time probably that somebody else put lipstick on you. I mean, typically, you know, you do that yourself, but you know, it's... Here or there. Bored on any given weekend? Hey, what the hell? You know, give it a shot. I get that. Uh, <laughs> I, I want to ask you guys about the the rib. Uh, was there a rib with Marty Janetti oh. before before Wrestle Rock? 
this is it's kind of a convoluted story, and it it uh, it it was a little bit scary. Pardon the pun. Um, Sherry was about two weeks out from working wrestle. She had attended, and I I think I've told this, I think I've told this story before on the air. Sherry had attended an independent show in the Twin Cities that was promoted by Eddie Sharkey's PWA. She just wanted to go to a show. Turns out that it was at a place called The Alternative, which was a dry bar. Well, Sherry didn't know that it was a dry bar. And on the way there, um, one, of, one of the PWA referees was driving. And Sherry's, you know, got a little flask with her. And I said, Sherry, you, you can't do that. You know, you, this is a dry bar. That's why they call it the alternative. And, you know, you got you to keep it clean tonight. Well, who am I talking to? I'm talking to Sherry Martell. You know, I might as well have just, you know, put up a red flag and said, Sherry, go to it. So Sherry goes into the uh, end of the building to watch this show. And she takes the flask of whatever it was, Jack Daniels, I don't know, and pours it, of course, into a can of Pepsi and drinks down the Pepsi and drinks down another Pepsi, bah, 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 bah. And before the end of the night, Sherry was not in a good mood. Uh, when, when, Sherry would, uh, when, when Sherry would imbibe, uh, her personality didn't always turn for the better. So <laughs> we go back to, to Sherry's place after the show. And when we leave the show, it's sleeting in Minneapolis. It's, you know, getting into that in-between season time. And Sherry takes a bump out in the parking lot on her knee. Well, first of all, she's blitzed going in, and now she falls directly on her knee. And I mean, she went down. And she's wailing. And I thought, oh, shit. This not only for Sherry, but for me, too, I'm done. AWA, you're not going to see me at ringside anymore. We go back to Sherry's place. She takes some aspirin. That was basically it. Well, then she gets a call from Marty Janetti. And Marty says, you know, I know you were at that show tonight. Everybody knows. She says, what are you talking about? And she said, well, they had a TV camera there. And Vern saw you sitting at this rebel you know, uh, uh, competition, independent wrestling show, and he is hot, and he wants to pull you off of Wrestle Rock completely. Sherry's <laughs> oh, already got a well, yeah, she's already got a, a knee the size of a, a softball. She's already feeling half in the bag, and she, she starts crying, and she, oh no, no, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, she threw us out. You know, it was me and the referee, and I don't know who else. She says, you guys got to go. I got to go to bed, blah, 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 blah. I lost the wrestle rock. Well, you know, now I'm thinking my career is over, too. Not that anybody gave a shit at the time. But Sherry called me the next day, and she said, I talked to Marty, and it was a rib. There were no cameras. Vern had no idea about the show. So Marty had sent this poor woman into a tailspin. She threw us out on the Nicollet Avenue, you know, in 494. You know, we dodged traffic as we're rolling onto the highway. And uh, and and it was it was all a rib. And but I want to tell you, you know, here it is, what, 35, 36, 37 years later. And it would it's like it happened last night. It was that memorable. Uh, but that was that was another side of Sherry when she would get a little stockered. Uh, you didn't necessarily want to be around her. She was the light, yeah, she was a light switch. There were times where uh, I, I drank with Sherry. In fact, um, when she was dating Shunji, the uh, super ninja, yes, went over to and, and the Nasty Boys had uh, uh, were just starting, and so went over to their place, and Shunji and uh, 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 Sherry were there and we're drinking sake. First and only time I've ever drank sake in my life. Sherry drank a lot. Well, to be honest, I think we all drank a lot of sake. But I never saw that. The, the I never saw, saw the scary Sherry that night. She, I don't know, maybe because we were all just in the same place. We didn't have any place to go. Yes, I I did end up spending the night there on a the couch because uh, I had way too much sake. But 
it was just fun. It was just laughter and 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 so forth. So going into it, and maybe this is how Sherry was, whatever her mood was going into her drinking, the drinking just magnified it. So if she was in a bad mood and she would drink, stay away from Sherry Martell if you don't want to deal with shit. You know, the flip side of that, when she was on, when she was in a good mood, uh, she was great. She was just hysterical. Uh, She and Candy Devine, you mentioned Candy before. Uh, They were very, very good friends. Loved to party, loved to have a good time. Sherry had a wonderful sense of humor. And yeah, it was Jekyll and Hyde. Well, and I got to believe that Medusa has to give Sherry credit for helping to mold her and her career, because when Medusa came in in about 86, um, some of her first matches were against Sherry. And who better to learn from? Now, I'm not saying that it was that Medusa's success is all due to Sherry. Mm-hmm. Medusa deserves it on her own. But those two, after a short period of time, Medusa, you know, got her, paid her dues and so forth. But Sherry helped to mold her. She helped Shawn Michaels with his yeah. career. Sherry was, damn. You know, really, until this episode, I, I put it all together. Sherry really, really was a goat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she, I, oh, wow. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about the issues that she's had. And, and I mean, people know about it. It's, you know, it's not any, you know, secret that anybody's kept. But I, before we go here, guys, and wrap it up, I, I do want to, can you guys clarify, or, or Mick, whoever, can you clarify the way that she left the AWA from what, because I know it's kind of an uncomfortable thing to talk about, but I feel like it's something that needs to be broached if we're going to tell the story of Sherry Martell in the AWA. You know, um, to be perfectly honest, I've heard stuff. Um, I I don't want to even profess to be not only a, an expert on why she left or how she left. Um, and again, I started right after she left. So I may defer to Joe on this one if, if Joe is comfortable enough to, you know, address what we know. I'm right around with you, Nick. Mick, sorry, you're not Nick Bockwinkle. Um, it, it was very sudden and very abrupt. And I honestly do not know that backstory. I don't even know what the rumors are. All I know is she turned up with a WWF and went on to an incredible career. So I'm sorry, I can't fill in any blanks. I just know that I missed her when she wasn't there. I mean, Chris, this may be you know something you want to jump in on. I mean, as far as as far as the rumors that you heard. Well, I, I and I, again, I don't really want to get get into it, but yeah, I, I just know that it was so abrupt. And I mean, it was like she was there one day and she was gone the next. Mm-hmm. And it kind of seemed like that was par for the course with a lot of people in, you know, like things were not necessarily acrimonious at the end when people left. But when you just, it's literally like the next day, like if something had happened between Vern and Sherry or the booking office, or, you know, there was something with the, you know, with the drinking and the outside, like, I, I, I don't know, but it seemed like it was just like, yeah, she came out of nowhere and showed up in the WWF. So I, I, I mean, I, it just seemed like so abrupt. So I was just wondering if there was anything that had kind of been floated around when you guys were, you know, kind of the ancillary pieces. Well, what I, what I can say, Chris, is that she didn't leave the AWA because of the AWA. She okay. left because she had an offer from New York. Okay. There is nobody in the AWA during the, 87-ish time period that wasn't thinking or working towards going towards the WWF. Right. Period. Okay. Yeah. Period. The AWA was on the decline. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the WWF was becoming a beast. 
So, uh, you know, whatever may have happened at the front office, uh, I don't mm -hmm. know any particulars, but if it was over money, Vern wasn't going to be able to pay her. And uh, uh, I, it, whatever Sherry asked for, I can confidently say Vern wasn't going to give her what she was asking. If, if that was indeed the scenario, um, I, I've never heard any nefarious story of her leaving. Uh, okay. I was just like you, and I, I was working there. All I know is just one week, there was no Sherry Martell mm -hmm. at interview day. And it, to be honest, it, it saddened me because she was always a treat to be around. Chris, I want to I want to tell a quick story here, and I don't think it's speaking out of turn because it's been talked about before. But it, again, it goes to not only Sherry's um, shortcomings or, or personal demons or whatever, but but just how amazing she was. There was a back-to-back -back Steel Domain uh, wrestling weekend. I forget where they where the first date was. It was a spot show uh, somewhere in uh, Minnesota, and then the next day. Sherry was going to be working at Treasure Island, and she was going to be coming out and managing Lenny Lane. Well, prior to the, the spot show the day before, uh, the promoter went to pick up Sherry at her hotel in downtown Minneapolis, and Sherry was in no shape to do anything. Um, she had been uh, partying a little bit the night before and, uh, and, and literally was out on her feet. And it got to the point where on the way to this show, which is probably about an hour or so plus from the Twin Cities, Sherry is completely out in the front seat. I mean, she is out, totally unconscious. And the promoter, of course, is starting to worry about her. And when they got to the building, I said, where's Sherry? He says, she's out. She's out in the truck right now. She's, she's gone. She's blitzed. I don't know if she's going to be able to make an appearance. And so I said, God, you know, I do we go out and approach her? What do we do? You know, this is not, I don't want her to wake up a raving maniac, you know. So it's intermission, go out to the, the truck to get Sherry. Uh-huh. You know, and the promoter, Sherry says, is the show going to start? Promoter said, Sherry, we're at intermission already. You're up next. The switch went off, like Joe said. She got into the building, into the dressing room, put on all her stuff, got into or got out in, in a managerial capacity. You would have never known that anything had transpired prior to that in a negative way. She was spot on. The next day, she's managing Lenny Lane at Treasure Island, and she did not remember the night before. It was, uh, to me, it was absolutely extraordinary. She said to Lenny, she said, I, th I think I've managed you before. And I said, Sherry, you managed Lenny last night. She did not remember. She had that blackout, but she was such a god, such a professional. I mean, good or bad, that the mm -hmm. switch went on, but she did not remember any of it the next day. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just remember her being really sorry and saying to the promoter, you know, please bring me back. I, you know, this has been a rough weekend for me. Sadly, you know, Ed, we never had the opportunity to bring Sherry back, but it was just extraordinary to watch that whole thing play what, out. What, what is her legacy going to be, guys? Oh, man. Or what? What? what is her legacy or what is her legacy for you? Outside of the friendship, her legacy in the ring was that she was well. The the, the whole thing though, because okay. you guys because you guys interacted with her in a way that a lot of people didn't. So, Mick, I want to get yours, and then Joe get get yours. How you know? How are you guys going to remember her? She was my friend. She was a dear friend. Um, I, I I get choked up seriously talking about her. Uh, she was wonderful. We interacted well. Uh, she was, she confided in me about a lot of stuff, you know, um, you know, in her personal life or concerns with Vern or whatever. So from a personal level, I was very fortunate. I was blessed to know her beyond a professional level in the ring itself, unmatched talent. Uh, there she is with another guy that left us too soon, road warrior Hawk. And I absolutely love that picture. And, uh, I think this, 
sadly kind of speaks to some of the uh, the pitfalls of pro wrestling when you see those two uh, standing together and realizing they should be here now and they're not. Um, but as a professional, as a manager, as a wrestler, as a personality, Sherry Martell, absolutely stellar, class of her own. She was a loose cannon wild child that, in my opinion, was the best female talent of her era because she could do it all. Um, I, I could probably extend that to say more than just her era, but sadly her era was too short before, um, sadly the, uh, the, the, the drug overdose, but, um, Sherry was as good as it got. I brought it up earlier about her being, um, you know, hate to say the female goat because I don't think she'd like that. She really was just a goat. Take out, take out the, the male part of it as an overall talent. Sherry was that damn good. Whether it was commentary, managing, um, refereeing even, Okay. You know, working some of those, uh, anything that she did in professional wrestling, Sherry was as good mm -hmm. as it got, period. She deserves the credit and respect that finally she is getting. Well, on that note, guys, uh, let's go ahead and uh, and wrap up the uh, the Sherry part. Um I'll let you get some some last words at the very end here, Mick. But let's uh, you guys want to do some shout outs? Uh, I know that we hadn't really talked about it, but we do them. Do you guys want to do one this week or uh, what well, do you think? I have one. I have one. Okay. Uh, and, and Joe, you know this guy very well. Uh, Aaron Eichhorst, Cujo, uh, a former independent wrestler here in the upper Midwest that we ran into him the other night at a, uh, at a benefit show. He looks great. Looks like he could still get into the ring, but it was like old home week. And my God, Chupik, he was all over you. So happy to see you. But uh, Cujo, kudos to Cujo, and uh, we'll see you again down the road, buddy. It was great to see Cujo again. My shout-out goes to Glenn Braggett. Glenn is a longtime wrestling fan, has had me on his podcast a couple of times, and uh, – um, interacted with them leading up to that event that Mick and I were, were at this week. And Glenn, thanks for listening. Appreciate it. And uh, mine's going to go to uh, someone who just became a member of our AWA Unleashed fans page on Facebook. If you haven't, uh, go ahead and become a member there because we have some fun discussions and you know, we usually have some you know clips and things that kind of go with the podcast there. But Bill Dundee. Aha. Uh, the, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of people know, you know, part of the Memphis territory, Jerry Lawler and, you know, Billy Joe Travis, you know, things like that. But yeah, Bill Dundee, glad to have you part of our AWA Unleashed fans and, and, uh, welcome aboard. We're always happy to talk about your accomplishments. So, uh, there it is. Uh, there's our, there's our shout outs. Uh, I want to thank Soda Stick and, uh, Seventh Avenue Pizza. If you guys have not, uh, already subscribe rate review especially on youtube keep an eye out for uh new things that we've got coming down the pike uh, um yeah that's that's about all i can say we're still working on some of the technicalities it's very vague but we've got some good things coming up in the next hopefully month or so hopefully within the next couple of weeks but you know we've uh we've got some things but uh before we we wrap it up here uh mick i know that uh, again this is uh, this is going to Sherry Martell. If I if and I apologize. Oh, yeah, well, I just no no, no to, go ahead, Joe. I just wanted to tell everybody that no, we don't have a, a turkey on a pole, but happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Yes, thank you. Because I for, I forgot that this is this is airing like two days before Thanksgiving. Wanted to do that. So many great memories yes. of Thanksgiving night at the AWA at the Civic Center, uh, battle royals that led to the big Christmas show. So I wanted to get that in because great call, Joe. Nick great needs call. To carry this to the end with uh, with our dear friend Sherry. Great call, Joe. Uh, yeah, I echo that. And uh, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. And 
in conclusion, as we uh, wrap up talking about Sherry Martell, um, you said it, Joe. I mean, when we do this podcast and we talked about her, and you know, we didn't talk about all her titles and her matches. You can Google that. You can watch YouTube. You can do whatever you want there, and you get the picture of Sherry Martell, the professional. We wanted to talk about Sherry Martell, the person. Uh, all of us have our hiccups. All of us have our warts, and Sherry was no different, but when you look at, at the total package, what you got with Sherry Martell on the overall, her intensity, her drive, her sincerity, her toughness, her beauty, her professionalism, uh, Sherry Martell, God bless you. Thank you for your friendship, and I hope you're resting in peace, although you're probably raising a little bit of hell up there. Love you, Sherry. <laughs> 